Hello and welcome to the Gentleman's Journal podcast, a fortnightly discussion all about success, modern business and the lives of entrepreneurs. I'm Joe Bullmore, I'll be your host for the day and I'm joined this afternoon by Steve Bartlett, the founder and CEO of Social Chain. Since its birth in 2014, Social Chain has gone on to become the most successful social media agency ever. It owns and controls some of the world's biggest social accounts, employs more than 250 people worldwide, and has been behind some of the biggest viral trends of the last few years. In an incredibly honest and candid interview, Steve tells us why he drops out of university on the very first day, how buying followers for your rivals is the quickest way to destroy them, and why everything does not happen for a reason. Steve, thanks very much for joining us on the Gentleman's Journal podcast. Thanks for inviting me. We were just talking then before we we started recording about the fact that you're a young entrepreneur and people Mm -hmm. often put you on a pedestal as this kind of Mm -hmm. example of youth entrepreneurship. What was your first ever business? Um, Do you know what? I started so many businesses that failed when I was younger. Um, Probably my first ever business was raiding my mum's walk-in wardrobe for these fake cigarettes she'd bought from Africa. She bought like six bin bags of them. And she wasn't around and my dad wasn't around. So I realised that I could probably sell a couple of like these packs and make money for my school lunch and to buy some tricks. Like some school shoes and stuff. So I started doing that and like she didn't notice one bin bag down, she didn't notice two bin bags down, six bin bags down. She's like, she's accusing me, but I'm well aware she has no evidence. Okay. So that business ran that business came to an end when we ran out of cigarettes. Um to But you must have made ad. quite a lot of money off that. Uh, but Kids don't have a lot of money to pay for okay. the cigarettes, so everyone was getting a really good deal. It was like 50p for a, like a pack if I was lucky. Right. And then after that, I, I launched a website which endeavoured to sell Japanese clothes to the English market at a time when I saw, you know, a little bit of a trend, but I just couldn't figure out how to code. So that failed. And then probably my first real business that made tens of thousands of pounds was when I was um, 15 and 16 and I started a under 18 um, events company. Right. What was it called? It was called Excite Events. Okay. Um, and it was because the event that I went to called Lavish shut down and I loved going to that event. Lavish? I, yeah. That's a hell of a name for yeah. a club night. It was this this one event which basically meant this girl I fancied who went to a different school like that I could see her. Yeah. So when it shut down, I was like, damn, like I need to maybe <laughs> <laughs> bring this back. And it was done at this huge super club okay. um, for over 18s, but they just like put on this, you know, this night before 11 o'clock. So I, that's what I, that's what was my next business. And that really, um, really did well. Right. How, how well as well? I would, I, I could make tens of thousands of pounds um, a month in, wow. in my best month. Um, God, and you were 17? I was 16. Um, the biggest ever one was on my 17th birthday and okay. it was meant to, and they thought, the club thought it was my 18th birthday party, but also they thought it was the end of summer party. And we had 3000 people RVP in nine days. We had the council um, on our backs. We had to triple the security because of uh, police uh, orders. And it was, uh, and there was just, it was meant to be in a club, but it was all down the street. There was press there. Wow. It was craziness. So I came home that day with a big bag of money and because um, they just pay you the money that people paid on the door. Okay. So yeah, that was my best ever event. That's but then um, the school let me do all the school school trips. So in sixth form from the age of 16 to 18, I put on all the school trips. Okay. So I'd take people from Plymouth to Thorpe Park. I'd do the consent forms, the beanies. I'd get the beanies knitted. I'd organize the coach, the hotel we were going to stay at, where we were going to eat for two days safety, uh, everything you can imagine, wow. collect the money. I'd do the marketing at school. They gave me a whole wall at school where it was mine to advertise my events. Okay. Um, and lastly, the other thing entrepreneurial I did at a young age was um, I negotiated the deal for all of the coffee machines in our school. So our school was going to buy coffee machines. And it was crazy to me because we have 2,000 students slash customers and they were, they were looking through these catalogs to buy a machine. And I emailed a company. They came to the school. They fit them for free and gave us 20% of the revenue. Wow. So, and we still have that deal today in the school, although we have new machines. So, okay, yeah. gosh. Yeah. Pretty impressive stuff. Then I went to uni. Yeah. Then you went to university, 18 years old. And that was business school in Manchester. Is that right? Yeah, it was Manchester Met Business Manchester School. Met. I got expelled from school in the end. So, you know... <laughs> uh, my grades weren't all that good. So I couldn't go to Manchester okay. Uni. I had to go to the, uh, you know. Yeah. So grades don't particularly matter then for success, I suppose, in your case. I mean, like, not at all. Like, yeah. only if you start to believe it does. Okay. Because then you start to not believe in yourself. And belief is a, 
required to do anything great. So if you start to believe that anything matters, the color of your skin, mm. the grades you got in school, how rich your parents were, then you are, can I swear? Yeah, of course. Fucked. <laughs> okay. So, and that's the truth, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't believe any, I don't, I don't like to believe anything is holding me back because I just think it's, it will, you know? Okay. But Manchester didn't particularly, Manchester Met didn't fit with you. I think I heard you say that you've done one, you did one lecture there. Yeah, I did the one, I went, so I didn't get my timetable or my ID, ID card. Um, so I went on the Man Met, like in, intranet thing, found mm. timetables for what I thought was my lesson. I went to it. There's a girl on my right hand side and she's hung over and she's just <laughs> clearly doesn't want to be here. And um, the guy at the front, the lecturer was talking about he was making analogies with a cardboard box to love. So I just, I just, it was more the girl on my right hand side, to be honest. I just think I was in the wrong lecture, but the girl on the right, my right hand side, she was a representative in my mind of where I was going to go in life if I sat here for three years. And mm -hmm. I just thought, oh God, she, A, she doesn't want to be here. B, she doesn't care about business. She's come because she didn't know what else to do. And C, she's not, um, she's not got any ambition. And that, Total prejudice dropped me out of university. Wow. Yeah. So you were in the wrong lecture, but, yeah. but probably the right lecture for you. Yeah, I'm end. glad. Like, I wouldn't have stayed it anyway. The thing is, I thought it was going to be different from school, and it wasn't. So I, my, I was so enthusiastic going to university. I was like, amazing, you get to go and learn about business and how it's run. And it just wasn't the case. And I learned thereafter, even not from not going to lectures, that it's just a, it's just a scam. You know, the whole okay. thing is a scam for m the majority of people. Sure. I, the thing when I say that people always you know say oh what about your doctor okay yes I want my doctor to go to university <laughs> but that doesn't make scamming everybody else okay you know yeah of course so how long was it after that hungover lecture to founding social chain or to the first steps in founding social chain yeah there's like loads of things I just never talk about because it's just it makes the story confused but the first business I started at university was a poster business I was gonna I saw that there was loads of flyers at our university halls mm. so my thing was if I go to the university halls across Manchester and there's like 30 or 40 of them I had them all mapped out and I say for free we're gonna clean all of the halls of residence mm. of flyers in exchange, we want the right to access every kitchen and put one poster which directs the students on where to go based on some kind of like fair system. Yeah. So I was like, I will clear the, the recycling, the, the clutter, um, and we will still give students guidance on where they go. And then I was going to sell that ad space to brands, to like Tiger Tiger or whatever, sure. like nightclubs. Um, and then I like toyed with that. I met a few people and then I, um, I pivoted to uh, something slightly different, which was a student notice board, okay. um, which was called Wallpark. Um, my whole idea, I thought it was crazy that we used brick walls to communicate with each other. And I've got this photo I took at the time of a brick wall that had three posters on, a, a poster advertising for a football player for the university team, mm -hmm. a nightlife uh, poster and uh, an accommodation poster. And I thought it was crazy that we used brick walls. So I thought, you know, we can, um, we can create some sort of algorithm driven website which knows what you're looking for. It serves you things that matter to you based on what you've searched before. Super simple for all the three universities in Manchester in one place. Um, and that, so that's what I went off on the path of trying to do. Yeah. Did that work out? So I did that for like th probably like three years from that point. So I didn't know what an entrepreneur was. Um, I didn't know like my parents at this point, because I dropped out, didn't, mm. speak, didn't speak to me for two years. Told my brother not to speak to me. Told like my family not to, to speak to me until I went back to university. So I was very alone. I was very, very broke to the point that NatWest had took my card when I put it in the cash machine because I was so overdrawn. And I was just 100% intent on just figuring out how to build what was basically a social network. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, that's what I ended up doing for the, for the next two years. I just, you know, Googled stuff and tried hard and kept meeting people and Googled stuff and tried hard. And then I would, I'd get lower and lower and lower in terms of like my living conditions to the point where I was living in Moss Side, shoplifting food to feed myself because I had no money, zero, zero money. Um, I'd leave the house just going to takeaways in the hope that someone had left some food on the side. I was more than willing to eat someone's leftover chicken carcass in that state of mind. And yeah, I went down that path. I've got loads of photos of all this stuff. Like my laptop is, there's like half the keys that are left on my laptop. I've soldered a ball ball into the wiring of my laptop to try and get it to work because I can't afford to buy a new charger. Like it's really desperate times. Um, but you know, 
I was so happy then. I was as happy then as I am now because I was doing I was doing me and um, slowly things started to get better. You start to come out the other end. Um, I was living above like Chinese takeaways. My landlord at the time was just this, he was an Arab guy and he would just move me from one place to another based on how the rooms were rented. So I could be somewhere for three days and he'd be like, Steve, come on, we're going. I jump in his car, he takes me to the next place and it's like, the one place he took me to had rats and I hate rats. Like I'd be like a above a kebab shop and then he'd take me deeper into Moss side and then to another place. And I was just always moving whilst trying to run this business. Yeah. While trying to create this business. But you know, work hard enough, luck happens and then things changed. Uh, social chain came into play when I had to figure out how to market this website. When we had a team, we had five investors. Believe it or not, the, the guys that built Friends United, which was the biggest social network in the world at one point, invested in the company. Um, loads of other people did. And um, I became a marketeer. How do you get young people to come check this thing out? Tried loads of stuff, none of it worked. Uh, tried to think from like real first principles as to where attention was and especially for students. And the answer was social media. So mm. Um, I figured that out by going to Domino's, getting a hundred of those free pizza vouchers, giving them to students on campus in exchange for a screenshot of the, their mobile phone setting section, because it tells you by time where you're spending your time. And the answer was Facebook and Twitter and, and these kinds of things, not Snapchat back then. Um, so I thought I'm going to own loads of real estate on Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Googled, uh, went on Twitter, typed in the word student, first page that came up, tweeted the guy called Dominic McGregor, met him in York in a revolutions bar and I told him to drop out of university and move to Manchester. I could pay him about 500 pounds a month um, and we were going to build social media pages for students. And fortunately he was very persuadable. <laughs> Much to his mother's dismay, he dropped out. So Dom ran a page called Student Problems didn't yeah. he, on Facebook, mm -hmm. which was basically kind of observational humour for yeah. students. Exactly. So not a high tech, high concept idea, just no. good content, funny content, just that's funny, relatable. relatable stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was, and if you look at the numbers for in terms of attention, it, like people, people are so romantic about the, how the attention is earned. I, I'm, I wasn't. I didn't care if it was a bloody meme page. If there's a hundred thousand students looking every day, yeah. I want to be there. And that's the, that's the interesting thing in that moment because brands would never, ever, ever have considered that to be a good enough place to put themselves. Mm. And uh, so we doubled down on that. We built all these massive pages. I ended up l resigning out of the blue on, on Wallpark when I realized that I had just created this barrier between where the attention was and where brands were with Wallpark. Like all the attention was, the platform was Facebook and, and, and Twitter. Why was I making a website? I could do it on Facebook. Yeah. Nobody believed me. My investors told me to stop wasting my time with social media. So when I left, they let me take all the pages because they didn't value them. So I took all the pages and I was at 21 years old, determined to find every young Dominic McGregor right. in their bedroom, hire all of them and acquire all of their assets. And that's what I did for that whole year. Right. So we took everything. We took everything. <laughs> we had hundreds of Twitter pages. We had hundreds of Facebook pages, Instagram, Twitch, Snapchat. We own hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. We have hundreds of millions of followers, do billions of video views a month, like pretty staggering. Um, and all these young people, um, they had just created these assets around their passion. So Nick made Sporf. A lot of people know Sporf. Big football channel, 15 million followers, killer, does better numbers than ESPN and BBC Sport. Yeah. Because it's more relatable. And when you say you acquired these things, how, what, what's the process of going up to someone like Nick or Dom and saying, <sighs> come on board? With Dom, it was just, you know, bought, I think I bought lunch that day. Uh, <laughs> but um, with, you know, it's all, it's always different. And it depends what they're looking for. Some people are looking for a job and they want to not have to go and get that job their parents are telling them to go yeah. get, being that thing they don't want to do. And they want to just tweet and make content around an interest they have for a living. So like mm. Hannah, she was a, a girl that had built the biggest Harry Potter page in the world. Biggest Harry Potter fan you'll ever meet. Biggest Sims, you know, the game wow. Sims. Of course, biggest, yeah. biggest fan you'll ever meet. She built mass, millions and millions of followers around these things she was just passionate about. Yeah. And uh, she was off. She just graduated from uni as a primary school teacher, just done her placement. And uh, we meet. And um, I remember she texted me saying, Steve, this social chain thing, is this going to be a real thing? Because my parents keep asking, keep telling me to go get a, a job as a school teacher. Like, is it going to happen? I was like, yeah, yeah, 100%, whatever, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, was like in a, I was like in Thailand in my boxer shorts, like on a tuk-tuk. I was like, yeah, no, sure, whatever. Yeah, yeah tell them like it's going to happen. Um, and it happened. And last week she was voted the top 25 most influential women in the world by Vogue. Wow. And it just started, you know, well, she started by making a tweet about Harry Potter. Now she's um, a killer. She manages a team of about 70 people. 
And yeah, so it all worked out and uh, people, <laughs> a lot of parents were wrong. Okay, yeah. Mine and Dom's and that seems to be a common theme. So presumably some of these people want money as well. Could you just straight up buy their do assets you know or do You'd you... would be surprised. Really? You'd be surprised. I'd say the vast majority didn't care about that at the time. Okay. Maybe now. Yeah. Because the value, the perceived value has changed. Some of yeah. the biggest social media brands in the world that I could name, that and I won't name them, but that are now worth 100 million and I'm not pl- pl- plucking that mm. number out of the air, 100 million, um, at that time sold for less than 2,000 pounds from one of my friends to another. And they're now worth 100 million. So and when was that? When was that? Like 2000 made? and around 2013, God. 2012. You said it shows the, the, how things have changed, perceptions. Yeah. So you can imagine when I walk into the biggest brand in the world, when I was, I don't know, like 18, and I try and tell them about social media pages and putting them on there, you just get laughed out the room. If those pa- same, pa- you could buy the whole page for say like a thousand pounds. And now those those same pages are worth hundreds of millions of pounds and they have teams of 50 people running them and you know, a lot of things have changed, so. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, that's definitely true. In that regard, you know? so who was the first client then? You've got Dom on board, who did you Maybe first sign up? Spotify, I think they were okay. the first client. I think I charged them about 500 quid. Really? Yeah, pretty bad, huh? <laughs> and, and they took a pump. it as well, like yeah. we absolutely. We did such a good, campaign that I was told by a little birdie that our results were shared across other media partners to make sh- sure that the that the company didn't look so bad. Okay. Do you know what I mean? So social chains numbers were so good that- You, um, you, you sported the rest. We just did a bunch of like hilarious memes with the link to get mm. Spotify um, and talking about the deal yeah. and stuff. And no one else did that. It was all like banner ads and stuff with all the other media partners. Yeah. And our stuff was, it was viral. It was, you know, people loved it. And we knew we'd done number one, but I got told what I just told you then when someone left said company mm. and, um, and yeah, told me. Okay. So Spotify, do they still work with you now? No, we don't work with Spotify now. Because you, you can only work with one player in that space. Okay. So it's either Apple Music, else. SoundCloud, Spotify. And okay. We've been working a lot with Apple Music, so... There's a slight boast I've I've been told you make when you do do public speaking is that you could make any hashtag go viral by the time the speech is over. Is this is this true? Yeah, I mean it's it's true, but I'm not impressed by it. So okay. if you know what I mean, like it sounds it, impressive. Pe- people are impressed by it, but I don't. I wouldn't ever sell that to a brand because I just don't think there's inherent value in just trending. No, you know? of course not. Um, trending can sometimes be a byproduct of something that does have real inherent value if a lot of people are like meaningfully yeah. talking about you, but. Yeah, we can. And we, we've been tested a million times. BuzzFeed came to our office half an hour, make this trend. 25 minutes later, they see it trending on their phone. Like Vice did a documentary on us. 12 minutes, it's trending on their phones. But how, how do you do that? What's the process? We have There's some influence. dark arts. We, we have, have a lot of influence. influence. And we know we know why things trend and how you get uh, a message to resonate with the people so that they'll also start talking about okay. that topic. So you need to choose the message. They can't give you any random hashtag and you can make it work. Like we could, but it would be... <laughs> The, the methodology in that case yeah. would be totally, that would just be straight up spam, right. right? Just hitting it as many times as we can from as many channels as we can. The way that we make things trend and we have them when tested mm. is by finding a topic that we know people will, it will resonate with them, but just by reading it, you will know how to take part okay. in the conversation. So I'll give you an example. If, if I posted the hashtag, uh, Deathbed thinking, right? The the title de- Deathbed thinking. It's a little bit fuzzy. You don't really know what what that hashtag is about. It's not very self-explanatory. No. But if I posted the hashtag five things to do before I die. Mm. You know exactly what it says is, yeah. on the tin. So you see that on your timeline, you see it trending on the side, you know exactly what you have to do to take part. So okay. it's that's that's part of the art and then distribution and stuff yeah. is is the other part of the art, but it's just understanding that, and also understanding like around cultural moments, what types of things are likely to trend. So okay. if during the World Cup, one of the goalkeepers makes a massive mistake, we know in that moment, say it was Joe Hart, a great opportunity would be something like things safer than Joe Hart. Okay, yeah. And it would be, we'd post a picture of like, I don't know, a gold bar in, a rough area like okay. do you know what i mean it, and then right. yeah do you know what i mean like yeah absolutely so how much of that then is is human intuition and how much of it is kind of dark arts informed by like, algorithms and data like, and it's both to some extent but i think the stronger force is just if you do something a lot 
You do it for six years. And you imagine some of these guys are just tweeting and it's instant feedback. You yeah. know, within a minute, if it's, if it's, as we call it, banged. So banged. Banged, yeah. So in a okay. minute, if you imagine you had one, if you were sat, you say you were like a, a your full-time job was just to tweet things. Yes. You, and you got a tweet, say you got a tweet 50 times a day. You press the tweet button, tweet goes out, you watch it. 60 seconds passes, you have seven retweets. Okay, and 10 favorites. You think, okay. And you do that every single day. You post one minute in, you see, oh, I've got nine this today. Uh, I wonder why that was. And then you form these patterns in your head as to what's happening and why and how you pull levers with people. Yeah. And that just stays with you. You just kind of know how to get people to, to do things. Okay, and these are all genuine humans doing things. They're not- Oh, 100 100%. Because you obviously there are people who mm. buy bots and fake followers mm-hmm. and stuff. Mm-hmm. That, that's not something that Social Chain ever we've never, flirts with. Do you know what? I've never said this before, but one day we um, decided, and it wasn't when the company was big, it was when it was just me and Dom. We thought that we wondered if, if a page looks like it's got a lot of followers, yes. people are more likely to follow it. So we, um, we I think we bought like 5,000 followers on this page on Facebook. And... It was the worst thing we ever did because the way the algorithm works is it delivers your content now to a small percentage of your following and it uses the engagement from that following to decide how many more people see it. Okay. So it was right. delivering to 5% of nothing. So the page could never grow, could never have engagement, could never wow. do anything. So buying followers for your page on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and now a little bit Twitter is the the quickest way to kill your page. If you want to destroy your competitor, yeah. right? Destroy them, buy them 100,000 followers. Wow. That you'll kill them. <laughs> depending on how big they are. If they've got if they've got 10,000 followers, right? And you, Real followers. Yeah. And you buy 100,000 fakes, they're dead forever because wow. they can never grow out of it. And if, if someone's got a YouTube channel and they've got 50,000 subscribers yeah. and you want to kill them, buy them 50,000 more. Wow. This and then their content will go to half the people every time because that's the way the algorithm works. So people don't ask me the question anymore, but back in the day, they used to ask um, if we if you know, if we have ever thought about buying fake followers or whatever. Back in the day, the answer might have been different, but now mm. it's like crystal clear. It's yeah. sabotage, you know? Brilliant. God, that is a useful tip. Yeah, I shouldn't have said that. No, no, you I should. Really, this is the kind of tip yeah, that no, we but, love. No, but I shouldn't have said that because I don't want that people no, to do that not. to people, you know? Also, I, th- I don't think anybody, I think intuitively it still feels wrong to buy your, your competitor followers. Mm. And you know Hopefully. what? There's a paper trail, so, you know, of course, be careful. Yeah. Be careful. It's, like, it's a real weird social media <laughs> sabotage. You know. I quite like it. I want to ask another kind of slightly moral question is, what is the line between a natural recommendation from someone mm. um, and an advert. And how blurred is it? Because we all know that it's often very hard to tell who's being paid mm. for what. And So the law says that if you are being paid to talk about something, you have to say it. You have to label it. You have to write hashtag advert. Facebook now have a button you can click, which mm. com- which makes it come up in the timeline saying sponsored. Yeah. Um, when you're working with a brand partner and you can tag the partner in Instagram, have the same thing. Twitter are the only ones that don't really. Um, but you have to be transparent or you go to, or we well, don't go to jail. It's, it's a scale of things the ASA will do to you. The first thing is they will send you like a slap on the wrist, which we had at one point yeah. um, back in 2014 when we didn't know what we were doing. Um, and we were just a bunch of kids that were just trying to, you know, advertise stuff. Um, and then further down the path, you get fined. Yeah. You get fined twenty thousand pounds a day until Fine. you respond. You can get um, your whole company shut down, all the ads removed. You can get it can get so severe for you. They can request every single email you've ever sent ever from your company, every bank transaction ever. So it's really not worth even considering not being transparent. Yeah. Okay. But and, and and that's only if money changes hands. What if people have money been gifted hands. products or That's fine. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. If you've been gifted something and there's no value exchange per se, uh, well like monetary exchange, then that's yeah. fine. Okay. If you and give someone something, services. they can post it out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah. Out of the goodness of their heart yeah. or the fact that they know they'll get more. Which kind of presents a moral conundrum that are people people are following these people in good faith, perhaps a lot of the time people called influencers, I don't know how you feel about mm. that word, but they're following them on the idea that these are their genuine personal loves and recommendations mm-hmm. when really they've got a jolly out of it or or mm-hmm. a free car in some cases. I don't believe for a second anymore that people are dumb enough to think that Wayne Rooney is holding this Adidas boot because he just loves Adidas. 
Three years ago, they were. No, but Wayne Rooney was paid, would be paid in that case. Yeah, 100%. He'd be paid tons of money. But the tacit ones where there's less of a clear sponsorship deal. I mean, if you're breaking the law, you're breaking the law. Sure. But that's a different conversation. If we're talking about how moral it is to influence people around products that you're paid to talk about, um, I'm at peace with it now because I know that people aren't... It's so common now that people understand. In 2015, nobody knew they were being advertised to because influencer marketing was just kind of like taking off the ground here in the UK. 2016, people started to clock on to the fact that these influencers they were watching on YouTube were being paid to talk about this stuff. Yeah. And you'd see the comments filled with people calling them out and catching them. 2017, we moved into a phase where people were, not only the influencers were being transparent, but the audience were fine with it. And if Alfie or Zoella, all these big influencers, talk about product now there are zero people complaining mm. there are zero people in the comments saying sell out whatever because they're so transparent about it the audience are no longer feeling like they're being duped and also the influencers have started to in many cases explain yeah. that it's this that allows me to do what i do this right. is a jo- you know this is also a job for me cool um so yeah yeah, there's an interesting uh, parallel i like to draw that that perhaps n- not many people care about but i certainly do is that if an influencer went on a holiday and got given a free hotel, they might also get paid to promote that. Mm-hmm. If a magazine like us went and reviewed a hotel, if we asked for money in, in exchange for promoting that in our magazine, mm. uh, it would be unethical and immoral. Is there a kind of different line between being a publisher, old school publisher, and a new media influencer? I think it would be. It would only be immoral if you didn't say we were paid to come and review this place. Okay. Um, and then if you you wrote something which wasn't uh, written from like an impartial place because of that money. You know what I mean? So I'm happy for you to go and get, to be paid to go and review something. Um, But I also want to make sure that you are being impartial, which is tough, you know, because someone's paid you at the end of the day, but yeah. No, quite right. And and it's crazy. One thing I find really crazy is how people are, they like try and find a problem in terms of the ethics or whatever of, an influencer posting on Instagram about a product. But that's what advertising has been forever on TV. It's been, you rope in a celebrity, you get them to talk about car insurance. Everyone's been cool with that. And then people ask me questions about like the morals and ethics of doing it on a different platform just because I'm like, that's advertising, persuading people. Mm. And often using authority figures on that topic to persuade people. Like they have doctors selling doctor pills. Like yeah. they have Messi selling football boots. It's the art of persuasion. You know. Okay. It's advertising. Yeah. You know. Are we all, the question should be, is advertising ethical? Uh, I think it's probably a bigger question than what I, I definitely I can so. answer. I think, think advertising has always been driven by authority figures. Yeah. So what, if I'm a brand coming to you and I want to... Uh, I don't know, extend my reach or, or, mm. or get a bigger profile on social media? What's the starting process? What's the first step? So you'll probably come into Social Chain and Social Chain will do a huge amount of insights uh, and research and strategy. Our strategy team is probably the biggest team in Social Chain and mm-hmm. all they do is research, find, pull data, use data tools that we've built and own and work with to draw as many truths as we possibly can before we start. So if Coca-Cola come to us and say, we want more teens to drink more Coke more often, we'll spend three to six months sometimes doing research. Um, and that'll find, form the, in primary research, we'll go out and film videos. We'll mm. do thousands of questionnaires on our channels. Um, and then that'll form the start of a process to creating um, ideas and creative ideas that make sense. Um, and using the things that we know are at the very forefront of what's possible on social media that yeah. most people wouldn't do because that's who social chain are. Um, what's an example of something that most people don't dare like, do? But there's no one in the there's no agency on this planet that's done a Instagram live stream with a dynamic live video. When I say that, I basically mean what you respond on that Instagram live stream will change the stream. No one's ever done that. Social chain were the first ever, and still have are only the first to know how to do that. Who was that for? Uh, it was for a big fashion brand called Boohoo. Did it work? Yeah, it's great. What's the what's the metric for success there? Everything we do is we one of our values, which is written on the wall of our offices, is about being first and fearless. Yeah. So our thing is we will do it first. When live streaming came to Facebook, we were nine of the top ten um, most engaged, most viewed live streams in the world because we just go first. We f- hack the hell out of things and we figure it out, and then we and then we give it to our partners to use as tools as weapons. We're the ones that. Um, take the risk to find this stuff first, you know? And that's the, the, the ethos and the company, that's success to us. Yeah. 
And, and it's interesting you speak about the research because obviously in the news recently there's been companies like Cambridge Analytica mm-hmm. who have maybe been gathering their data yeah. um, recently. I mean, you've seen bored of this question before I've even asked it. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, do, um, does that impact how people think about certainly Facebook and social media? Does that affect your your business in some way? Um, does it? Aff- so I think the whole Cambridge Analytica thing is, um, I think it's a lot of bullshit. Okay. And... That's probably why you thought I was bored of this question. <laughs> and I think it's bullshit because if you understand Facebook and Instagram and social media generally, you know that exactly what they described has been going on for decades and nobody has cared. Everybody has clicked. When they saw the app say, can we give, have your birthday, your date of birth, your um, name, your profile photo, everybody has clicked accept. And if you read what it says on the fucking screen, it was telling you that you were giving your, your data to an app, right? So that's been going on forever. As of right now, and I tweeted this the other day just to show that I could do it, I can still pull a Stephen Bartlett on the other side of the world, his mum's name, his mum's second name, his family's name, his his uh, date and month of birth, his job, his past experiences, loads of his posts, loads of data i can just pull it from facebook because people make it public and the stuff that was taken wasn't private data it was public data so this was as from all accounts including cambridge analytica mark zuckerberg and everyone in between was stuff that you put on facebook for people to see it was your name it was your profile photos it was your interests which Mm. are what you've put on facebook um and so if that's something that people have been given to Facebook and not cared, why have they been made to care now is the question. And it's two words, Donald Trump. Okay. The, it's just the most, and here's my, I guess this is somewhat of a conspiracy theory. There's a couple of things that have driven this. Um, Donald Trump comes into power and you need a vehicle to make people care. If I tell you that your stolen data elected Donald Trump, yeah. Right. There's nothing that's quite going to piss you off more than that. Imagine, listen, an app used your data to elect Barack Obama. Like most people, especially in this part of the world, cool, fucking yeah. amazing. <laughs> so bad. Right. But yeah, yeah. to Donald Trump, your mm. stolen data elected Donald Trump. What a brilliant narrative to attack social media with. And the people that wrote about it are the ones that are losing the most money. You know, the duopoly, Google and Facebook, are taking like 80%, I don't know the numbers, so I'm not going to spout them. I know it's incredibly high. It's like 80% of online advertising revenue. Who's losing the money? The Mm. newspapers. What a brilliant story. And people pulled their money from Facebook, one at a time. And so from, you know, when I know that there's like three or four old white men that run all the newspapers, like if I could give Mark Zuckerberg a blow, this young, you know, and Google, at the, you know, they hit Google with ISIS last year. Yeah. So last year, all of the papers started writing about um, your adverts being placed next to ISIS on Google. Everyone pulled their money. The biggest media companies in the world pulled all of their ads from Google all at once because, because of those storylines. Yeah. And the same happened this year. For me, I see traditional media attacking the duopoly with two narratives, ISIS being the first and then this year, Donald Trump. Wow. No one ca- no one cares about their bloody name and their bloody profile photo being taken. You put it on the internet. Don't pretend to care. But and the thing is they're appealing to people that don't know social media. So the narrative if you don't understand what they what's actually been taken and how it's been used, right? Cuz I also have looked very closely at how they use the data and it's not more effective than a Facebook ad is. Nowhere near. And in fact, Cambridge Analytica said we tr- we looked at the data we had we, we bought, bought this data, looked at it, tried to use it, and it wasn't it wasn't useful. Um, they've said that. Everybody said that. So, but to the to the the majority, it's just your data was stolen and yeah. it elected Donald Trump. And I would be mad at that. Yeah, I'd be mad at that headline. Of course, I wrote it on LinkedIn. You know, and a lot of people went and people were like, no, no, no. But I read it in the newspaper. I was like, there you go. I swear, someone said that. And the great thing about the media is they can tell you what to care about. Yeah. Very. If all of them start talking about something, it's time and time again, we start caring about that thing. So if they start talking about Ebola, even though nobody's dying of Ebola over here, we're all fucking, you know, yeah. we're like anti-disinfecting our hands or whatever. And that's the way it works. That's the power of the media. If you read books on the na- uh, mass uh, communication, it's all the same. So yeah. it's a nice weapon. Yeah. That's why no one. The newspapers are all losing money. No one wants to own a newspaper to make money. Not rev, not ad sales. Have you seen how much money these newspapers are losing, and they're selling for tr- like billions and billions of pounds? Because it's the best weapon for politics, for you know, war of ideas. So of course, you can make people care about stuff. What yeah. unbelievable power! 
Donald Trump, who you mentioned there, made people care about things without much backing from the mainstream media, in fact, um, and only a few kind of dissident groups like Breitbart and stuff. He, he leveraged his social media power and he was mm-hmm. kind of a king of viral. Mm-hmm. Do we, are we missing someone like that in this country? Could you make a, a politician now go to power with your own social media <laughs> expertise? Yes. Okay. Has, has a politician ever approached you to do it? Yes. Who is it? Can't say. But we've had loads of inquiries for politics. It's mainly like political parties. And there's yeah. the odd person. But I just don't... Um, it's not the game that I play. I don't want to be involved in stuff like that. I don't want to promote things that make people feel inadequate or that sways people's opinions like that. Um, We've got a lot of power and with that comes responsibility. And also the way we make our decisions as a business is very much in a group way. And there is no way that I'm going to get 200, 300 opinionated people to agree on one party or one person or one thing we all believe in. Just Mm -hmm. no way. Even like Brexit, even across our office, some people wanted it, some people didn't. We can't do a a Brexit campaign then. What we did was a vote campaign. So we did, we worked with the government to do um, a campaign to drive young young voter registrations. Mm -hmm. And it was the single most young voter registrations they'd had since the election began. That's the kind of thing we all agree on. Yeah. But we have to agree. Or people will leave and I don't want people leaving. Do individuals come to you as much as companies and say, I want to increase my profile, knowing that if they do get 100,000 followers, naturally they can then be a business in themselves? Good question. So that girl sat behind you. She's called Katie Woolwork, right? And she runs a business called Brand Chain. And it does okay. exactly that. It uses social, it leverages social media and this new medium, which puts the power back in the, the sure. person's hand and can turn a person into a, a, a media company, which, wow. is, which, is a, which is a personal brand, right? Yeah, of course. Um, you, know, you know, once upon a time, if you wanted to build yourself as a person, as a brand, you needed, uh, you know, newspapers, yeah. and you needed TV. Publicists and agents. Yeah, you needed the radio as well. Now you need a mobile phone. Mm. And, and so that's been the big shift. I can, I can make, last, about 12 months ago, I had, you know, zero followers. Now I've got a million because I know how to use social media wow. to... Um, to get people to follow me and stuff. Can you teach those skills? Are they tangible skills? They're a five-point oh, guide. It's going to cost you. She's looking at me now. <laughs> okay, well then, what is the what is the cost? Well, if um, someone comes to you, how do you price up a package like that? It all depends, right? Um, she's probably better to talk about this than I am, but um, it all depends on what their objective is right right so if you're doing your if you want to increase your personal brand around the release of say a book or something right. that's a completely different well let's to, do it as, as joe bull or me for an example I, I couldn't give you a cost no because it's just so tailored and there are it's but are like, we, we're talking it's hundreds cardboard. of pounds or tens of thousands of oh pounds. it's like thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds thousands. okay is that what more than twenty it depends pounds? yeah it, some people will pay 20, 30,000 pounds. Some people might want to pay five or 10. To increase their um, following by what numbers? Not necessarily following. It's more about your brand. And it doesn't just leverage social media, but mm. social media is the lens that it operates through. Um, it, could, you know, it could be driving you know, online PR as well. Sure. Um, it is driving your following. It's producing content around you. If you're a pianist, it's one thing. If you're an entrepreneur, there's a different story to tell and a different way and a different platform to tell it. So it's really, really tailored. Yeah. It's not selling cardboard boxes. It's trying to sell, a, a, I guess, a solution. Yeah. And could you do that with absolutely anybody? If yes. someone has no talent, yeah. uh, nothing interesting about them, they're just a normal person who, you know, really, yeah. you wouldn't look twice at if you saw them on the tube. So, I mean, I don't think that person exists. Right. I think everybody Very has. Very good answer. Um, I think everybody has a story and I think everybody has something they can leverage which is unique to them. And then... Our job is shining that a little bit yeah. to make sure that it's the best it possibly can be. Okay. And that's through, you know, the content and, you know, practice and then knowing how to deliver it to the world in the way that that talent has to be delivered to the world. So, you know, if you're a musician, you've got, it's more audio, you know, mm-hmm. various channels, maybe YouTube channels that do video. If you are a writer, um, then maybe there's a different way that you need to yeah. communicate that. Podcasting might be better for writers yeah. um, and, and authors and that kind of thing. So, yeah. Well, we so. yeah. And I've got another question here about the kind of the way that 
Instagram influencers, for example, in particular, mm-hmm. tend towards a certain kind of content. And you might take some of the most influential people and not be able to distinguish one post from another. Yeah. I'm thinking of the kind of things where a lot of kind of showing off about the fact you're on a beach. Oh, um, like the lifestyle stuff. The lifestyle. It certainly towards the lifestyle and style end. Yeah. Um, and men's style, and we work in this space, a lot of men walking through smart streets in slightly too tight suits. Sure. Um, and that kind of stuff does very well. Are we going towards a world where there's no creativity and everyone is just doing slight tweaks on everyone else's work? The thing that I'm more more concerned about is people's mental health and this, you know, the damage and danger of comparison, especially when you're comparing fake to real. I get to see me, you know, in my shorts and with my like Afro hair, sat there with my top off, eating my pot noodle on my belly. Um, And when I look at my phone it appears that everybody else is having caviar in Mm. Barbados and they're all in love and uh, everything is perfect and they don't have a job. And, you know, in fact, this is their job, you know, and Mm. um, they've just got so much money that they just keep buying all these things. And they're just so happy as well because the stuff is making them happier, apparently. Of course. You know, but they're just so grateful as well because, you know, they've they've said they are. like, uh, And that that can be a quite unhealthy world to live Mm. in, you know. Uh, and your self-esteem, if you start to believe that, can take a knock. And you might believe that you're inferior or, you know. So that's the big danger for me. Social yeah. media is like making a lot of people very sick. I think that's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. People want to say that. People are like, oh my God, but you work in industry. Cool. So like, believe me when I say it. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't attack me for being honest. No, like, exactly. We are seeing a kind of trend now of people being much more outspoken saying this isn't my actual life it's just a highlight reel 100% but I, I don't almost, post that stuff as a very cynical way I almost think there's something aspirational about that as well sure about there's a kind of humble bragging I have my problems too aren't I normal like you and can't you see a lovely human side by the way that might get me 5,000 followers I agree that's very cynical of me I think that um, I am more con- and also the other thing is when I was 18 and I was completely broke and I was looking at Instagram I fell into the opinion that money scaled your happiness. Yeah. So I thought, oh, look, oh, my boy here's got an Instagram. He must be so happy. Because look, <laughs> he, is, he says he is. Yeah. And then I you know, go on Instagram, oh, he's gone holiday. Oh, they must be so happy. So you go, you start chasing pleasure, thinking it's mm. happiness. And the problem with pleasure is it, uh, if you chase it forever, thinking it's happiness, there's this thing called head- hedonistic adaptation where you naturally return to your base state after enjoying something. Mm. Um, it's almost like an addiction and you need more to return to a higher point and there becomes a ceiling there Mm. and I've seen friends that get to the top of the ceiling and just start the one week they've got Lamborghini the next week they've got um, a G-Wagon the next week they've got this long Maybach the next week it's a Rolls Royce and I'm like you're so unhappy what are you chasing and when does this end and so that's the thing that I I fell into the trap of when I was younger and uh, as I grew up I kind of I realised that that was all bullshit more people probably need to realise that yeah, I agree. What cliches and conventions in social media do you wish we could ban? Either phrases or kind of oh, framing God. of pictures. Oh, do you pictures? know one thing that I hate? Everything happens for a reason. Okay, that's, that's... not unique to social media. People oh, have been I saying see that. I on social media every day. Wow. I fucking hate that. What's wrong with that phrase? I just think it's such a privileged, <laughs> naive thing to say. Oh, your boyfriend dumps you. Oh, don't worry, Jenny. Everything happens for a reason. And people live by... Yeah. When I post everything... So, I posted a video that said everything doesn't happen for a reason. And I explain why that's it's both a stupid thing to say and dangerous. Um, and um, like, it's my worst performing video of all time. Right. Because people just, they hate me stripping them of their comfort blanket. Mm. They absolutely hate it, honestly. And the thing, the reason why I think it's so stupid, because let okay, when I say things, I like check from every angle that it makes logical sense before it comes out of my me as a like an entity like i check to make sure that i'm not being ignorant to something like everything happens for a reason tell me why those what the reason for those because what it implies is that there is some future award for this negative thing that's Mm, happened to me everything happens for a reason he dumped you but you'll meet someone better everything happens for a reason you got fired but um you know you'll get a better job and what people do and what propagate keeps it going is people looking back at their own lives and being and just connecting the dots with hindsight bias and saying oh shit if i didn't um stop to pick up that crisp packet then i wouldn't have met john Mm. and had these three kids but you also don't know all the things that didn't happen. Of course, yeah. You know, and you could have been fucking even better. You could have met Dave and Dave is great. Like, yeah, do you yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. He's a model. Um, the other thing that it, it doesn't, so the word everything, you have to mean everything. You have to mean 
kids dying in Africa with their eyes being bought out by insects and uh, six million Jews that were gassed by Hitler. Why were they led in to yeah. the, con- the, the concentration camps and into the, the, the showers to be gassed? What was the, um, the upside thereafter for them? Everything doesn't happen for a reason, right? Yeah. Stuff happens because, you know, life is life. Um, but this everything happens for a reason thing. It can't just be about you losing your keys and then I would, like, it's gotta be everything. And so everything doesn't happen for a reason. I also think it it takes strips you of control of your yeah. life. You know, you get fired from work. Maybe you're shit at your job. Like, do you know what I mean? Like maybe you should um, you should pay attention at work a little bit more. Yeah. And maybe there's something to learn there. Maybe you, you take, could, should take responsibility uh, at times. Right. Um, and if you go through life, oh, everything happened. If everything happened for a reason, I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, Everything's going to take care of it. I'm just on a roller coaster. Yeah. The track is already made, you know? So I, I hate shit like that. And too many people believe it because okay. it makes them feel warm and fuzzy. People, there'll literally be someone listening now being like, no, well, I wouldn't have met, you know, or I wouldn't, no, actually, I think you're wrong. Like, honestly, yeah. no matter how I explain it from every angle, someone was like, no, actually, because I, uh, the Quavers packet blew past me in the street and I like, oh Christ. <laughs> uh, I'm very logical in the way I think though. So. No, I can see that. It's interesting you speak about- we started on horoscopes. Like, okay, well, no, that, we I think we can all agree on that, certainly. I want to talk about your advice for entrepreneurs who might want to follow in your footsteps. Uh, one of the big things you mentioned there was kind of self-belief and self-confidence, which actually sounds pretty easy on paper, so but it's easy. the hardest thing for a lot of people to 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 gain is self-confidence. I would almost I would almost assert that self-belief is almost impossible by trying. No, I am going to say that it is impossible to just tell yourself to believe in yourself. Yes. Here's a nice little experiment to prove that. Okay. I get, who's someone that's really important to you? In my life? Yeah. or in, uh, I don't know. I was going to say my girlfriend, I just realized we broke up about okay. four weeks ago. Fine. So I'll say Perfect. my mother, go on. Still sensitive. Right. Your mum is now sat on this chair in front of you. I put a gun to her head and I mm-hmm. tell you that I'm going to pull the trigger unless you start to believe Hinduism. Okay. Yeah. There's nothing you can do. No, that's tough. Yeah. You could tell me you believed it, but you couldn't make yourself believe it if you don't. You need you require some kind of new inf- like evidence mm-hmm. or new information in order for you to really believe that. No matter how hard you want to believe something, if you don't, you don't. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. So that's when I when I thought about it from that way, I thought if you put a gun to my could I would I start to believe in Christianity? Like, no, I, I couldn't I couldn't make myself. I could lie hundred percent. Oh yeah, I believe. Uh, you know, I'd sing whatever song I had to sing. But um that's what I think. I think the same thing applies to self-belief. I don't think you can just sit there and say, do you know what? Believe in yourself. So I don't do that. I, the message I put out there isn't just, you know, believe in yourself. What I say is I try and give people practical advice to try and build yes. that evidence and take that first step because it's a set of case studies. Your life is a set of case studies and your belief system is a set of case studies you collect over time about how the world is, how the world sees you, how capable you are. Mm. And at a very young age, my first case study was being, I don't know, I got this face where I probably look about six years old, being really into this girl called Samantha on the mm-hmm. playground at school. And um, on the playground, she got into a relationship with my friend, Freddie Stewart. Mm. And I didn't like that. No. And as a six year old kid, instead of, I don't know, going over there and beating him up or like, I don't know, I don't know what else, wait it out. Um, I was very ingenuitive, I guess, not innovative. I made a playground gang and we went over and beat him up. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I made a playground gang and I made got these stones and I carved these logos into these stones on my break time. And I carved all these stones and I made a big collection of these stones. And then I told all the kids on the playground, I'm starting a new gang. And if you join the gang, you get one of these stones and everybody wanted to join this gang. And we became this, we had made all these rules for the gang. And the one rule of the gang was you couldn't have a girlfriend. Neat. Freddie joined the gang quicker than he dumped her. And, and then I just sacked off the gang and I carried on pursuing her. And I remember that, I always remember that thinking, you, you had the power to manipulate these, yeah. your peers and it's influence and it's persuasion and it's management. It's all those things at a young age. So I thought, so again, you know, you, next year you think, yeah, I can, I got this. What does Freddie Stewart do now? I don't know. But I, um, <laughs> I uh, messaged Samantha the other day, actually, literally like a month ago, because my sister found the photo of me and Samantha holding hands. Wow. So I just posted it on her Facebook wall. I've not spoken to her in, I don't know, 15, I don't know, 10 years. Wow. How exciting. But I just said, and I fancied you so much back then. <laughs> and she commented saying, I fancied you too. So I was like, oh, amazing. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that's a great case. Maybe study. one day, maybe we'll get married or something. Oh, God, if we do, that's She's still pretty. a beautiful thing. She's never going to listen to this. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll send we'll it do, to her. Yeah, do send it to her. Mm. Samantha, 
Go yeah. for it. We were talking about self belief though. Sure. And so, so it's just a, it's just a case of doing things, and when they go well, yeah. And then you think, okay, I could do that. I could do that again. And what about when they go badly? They never go badly like you thought they were going to go badly. This is the thing. You think, oh, if I try um, and it fails, then I'm going to lose my house and my kids and my family and this and that, and then I'm going to be in pain and I'm going to burn in hell. Like mm. that's almost the oh god, it's the unknown, the fear. But when things go badly, it's funny how much you gain from it and um, and how unpainful it was hmm. and that's a learning too listen my first yeah. business ballpark basically failed you know i quit because it was crap it failed right yeah. but it led to social change and so that failure everything happens was, for a reason by the way everything happens for a reason <laughs> that's what i'm trying to say like that's what this podcast is about right so um that failure led to uh, a huge uh, a big big win yeah um, Oh. Of course. And when you were a younger entrepreneur, you must have asked for lots of advice, or perhaps you didn't, from older, more experienced business people. Yeah, I did, what, for sure. What was the most useful piece? And then after that, the thing that was uh, least God, useful. The thing that just sprung to my mind when you said that for, mm. to me was focus. Um, like I think you might have been expecting like a long sentence or a quote, no? but it's just something that I've learned is so true. Um, a lot of young people will think of an idea they will try the idea it won't immediately make them rich yeah and so and then things get tough and you've got to pay the bills and whatever and whatever and then they'll just think oh think of another idea and then they'll, they'll and they'll be sold into this second idea on the fact that they think that'll make them money quicker or that they'll get there quicker so they yeah. abandon the first idea and they just idea hop until they die like you a lot of people do that yeah. they just jump from one idea for another, never really seeing anything through because it didn't deliver them the huge payoff they they wanted quick enough. Um, I've just got so many case studies of my friends doing things as passions and them turning into the best of the world of it. Of course, and they did it for eight, set like seven, eight years. I started my first business when I was fourteen. I'm twenty five now. People think, oh, you overnight success. I've been doing this for eleven years. I failed at fourteen years old. Mm. So I was focused on becoming a businessman for eleven years. So if you see my Instagram and you think, oh, yeah, I started social two years ago, whatever, and I just did it, no. No, yeah. that's not the truth. I've got, you know, so especially with so many influences now, it's harder now to focus on one thing than ever because there are so many, uh, a billionaire once said to me, never drop the pie reaching for an apple. And it's the same message. It's just about focus. Yeah. Focus on what you're doing. And if you love it, then it should be much easier to just keep at it when no money, pain, people are telling you you're an idiot. Uh, three years and you wake up and you're fucking loaded. Okay. You know? is, there, is there some truth in that old rule, the 10,000 hour rule, that you do something enough times and you get brilliant at it and if you do something for long enough, you'll make a success of it? I mean, the, one of the biggest cliches in the world is practice makes perfect. Yes. And it's it's cliche for a good reason because a lot of people agree. You know, it's, it's 100% true. Yeah. I Sometimes I think, I, I worry that people think I'm smart. I really, really worry about that. I think, oh, fuck, you think, because now I... I, I'm, I'm, I'm well articulated and I run this big business and I do all the, you must think I'm smart or I was rich or something. Like, yeah. no, I was, my GCSEs were terrible. I was crap. I, I spoke today in front of a thousand people in London. You must think I've, I was, a, I'm like a really natural. No, I was crap. I couldn't read the words in front of me at my first talk. I was shaking. Yeah. Um, and I, so I always make it very clear that I'm not smart and I'm not, superhuman i'm not no, anything you might think i am because of the results of practice and is there like a standard term i mean i know it's going to be different for everything you do mm -hmm. but does it often pay off after five years or ten years is there a curve that's kind of consistent there's no curve um there's no standard you know opportunity can play a big role mm -hmm. um and when opportunity shows up it's dependent on the market it could be dependent on luck i know of someone that's been building their business for uh, like five, six years, and then one day Miley Cyrus decides to start wearing it, and mm. boom. Yeah. You know, so that, you know, and then there's other people who launch their, you know, their fashion brands or whatever, um, and immediately Oprah puts it on the show, immediately explodes, you know. Yeah. You know, and it, it can go different ways. The most important thing, though, for me is 100%, and this is the biggest cliche I've probably that's ever left my mouth 100% of people that quit fail. You yeah. know, a hundred, if you give up, you definitely lose. And, um, and if you love it anyway, you shouldn't be holding out for some big extrinsic reward at the end. No. You should be doing it because you love it. You, yeah. you would do it for no money. And it's those people that I bet on the most. When I find someone that's doing some stuff because they just love it and you know that they're, because then they're willing to 
um, weight and they care about the craft and they're doing it for the right reasons. And in many ways that seeps through to what they're creating, the authenticity of it. Yeah. And in a world where a lot of people, for instance, in the fashion world, they're just buying stuff from China on Alibaba and selling it on Instagram to try and make money. They don't give a fuck. The stuff where you could tell someone really cared about the attention to detail cuts through yeah. in the long term. You mentioned luck there. Do you make your own luck in some ways? Yeah. Gen generally speaking, you get lucky sometimes. I mean, if you play the lottery one time and then you win, that was pretty lucky, you know? Okay. In the, in the meaning of the, the phrase. But when I look back at my personal journey, the moments where you would say, I got lucky or, or you got really lucky then, I'm like, mm, true. That was a real good sort of moment of fortune. Yeah. But I was up at 3 a.m. the night before signing up to websites. Okay. Um, trying to get attention from somebody. And that's why I then got a fluke email in the morning. So it's like, yeah, it was luck, but you, you know, make your own luck. I dropped out of uni and I was living in my side on the computer at 3am. Like, it, you know, there's a little bit more of a story to it. So. Of course. Yeah. The uh, more you do though, the luckier you get. Like the more you try, the more like opportunity you're exposing yourself yeah. to find. Um, but are you a social person yourself? Are you very, do you have lots of friends or? Probably not. Okay. This is like a two fa yeah, it's like a two ways to answer the question. I know a lot of people. Depends what you mean by friends. Because on one hand, I'm like, I have so many friends. And then on the other hand, I'm like, I have one friend. Like, yeah, <laughs> do you okay. know what I mean? Yeah, no, no. So it's kind of, it's kind of probably, probably I have not many friends. Okay. Yeah. Right. Oh. Well, that's a sad But thing, at the same way. time, I everyone at Social Chain, I consider a friend. So that it's would kind mean of a, you had a, a, a lot of friends. You know. And you've got a million followers, so... So many, you know, friends on there, you know? <laughs> real no, genuine friends. Real genuine, no. Of no. course. We'd love to talk about Steve Bartlett, the man, as much as the businessman. So here sure. are the kind of quick-fire questions we ask everyone. Sure, let's do it. And you probably answered some of these before. Who in the world of business do you most admire? Elon Musk. Why is that? I just think the reason why he's doing what he's doing is really admirable, and I don't think I would be as admirable yet. Okay. So taking all of his PayPal money and gambling it all to try and solve real big problems with space travel and um fossil fuels and stuff i think is really admirable yeah. and like he is really risking everything he is in order to achieve something which is very selfless and people think oh no he's doing no no like when you hear the stories from people that work with him and around him of him literally sleeping on the floor and on the sofa at the Tesla factory for m like months at a time, this is a billionaire. Mm. He doesn't need to be messing around with spending billions on space travel and these kinds of things. He's driven by genuine, um, a genuine desire to have a purposeful impact on the world. And I don't think a lot of people have that. Um, yeah. Do you think you've got that in some way? No. Is there a project one like, that could I, animate How you? dare I? Like, how <laughs> yeah. dare I say that? Do you know what I mean? But you might have a, something up your sleeve that you think, well, we could yeah. really change in the future. Here. I've yeah. got a lot of learning to do. Um, I'm trying to run a very ethical business until that point in the sense of like, we've introduced no plastics at Social Chain and like our fridges and stuff. And we've, we've gone carbon neutral. And um, I'm trying not to cut down the forest before I donate to it if you know what I mean okay. no, that's like a lot of right. people like they like cut down the forest and then they donate to the bees it's like what are you doing you idiot um yeah. but I I every part of me wants to and is aiming to get to the point where I take on challenges that are much bigger than myself and aren't about myself mm. um and my, that my time will come and okay. I'm well aware of that yeah what do you think you'd be doing if you weren't running social chain running another business I don't know did you ever have aspirations to be a rock star or a football player? Um, when I was younger, maybe a football player a little bit. And mm -hmm. I thought I, I thought there was a chance. Um, uh, Were you good at football? Very good at football. Still good? I'm, I was voted two years in a row the best football player at Social Chain. I'll have everybody know. Okay. And that's not because <laughs> I am uh, the CEO. That's, I'm sure some people would disagree with you. It was anonymous, um, but I did get to see you. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no, it was anonymous. But um, no, I'm good at football. Um, not like amazing, but I think I thought I could be pro professional. Um, up until the point where I got an injury and then I've still got the injury today. Um, but no, I never wanted to be a rock star. I wanted yeah. to be a rapper at one point. Why is that? It's Looks just, like a life lifestyle. Like, I, I liked the expression side of it. I yeah. like performance and expression. Okay, good. I think that's probably why I enjoy public speaking so much. Yeah. And what uh, was your biggest failure or regret so far in your career? Um, my biggest failure would have been probably opportunities missed. You know, I had a lot of, when I look back, I think, oh Christ, if I'd done that, I would have made a hundred million. I like genuinely have the moments where I'm like, oh, if I'd done that. But you never know that, do you? 
Um, that's the same that kind of thinking. It's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I that's, did something everything else. Everything happens you know, for a reason. Everything. You know, it's connecting, it's looking back and connecting the dots. Other than that, it's like hiring bad people. Mm. That's that takes the life out of me. You know, business is just about a, a group of people by definition, yeah. and um, a lot of my regrets are just not believing my intuition when I when my intuition knew something mm. and me convincing my intuition otherwise. Right. So well, I stopped doing that. And what are you most proud of on the other? Side. today uh, you know today is the furthest we've ever been it's the most we've ever done it's the most i've ever known um yeah and you're appearing today. on the gentleman's channel podcast and being on the, the highlights is yeah, <laughs> pinnacle i don't doubt it uh what's one thing you wish you'd created personally something you see in the world it could be a book or a work of yeah, art or a maybe structure uber. i just didn't know enough um i wanted to create uber before uber but i just didn't know enough about that market so i'm sure loads of people wanted to create Uber before Uber. Like yeah. it's, it's just such an obvious idea yeah um is there a, is there a something a work of art that you're particularly fond of? I mean, some people there's some songs I hear and I think, oh, like God, song. I wish I'd written that. I'd never could have been able to, but maybe Wonderwall. Okay, right. I don't know. <laughs> One of them classics. When you listen to those cla- when you listen to these classic songs, you just think, Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I wish I I could have created something so perfect. Of course. Do you have a most treasured physical possession? The crazy thing is, I like I don't care about anything I own. Okay. Nothing I own. I don't care about a thing that I own. Um, I don't own very much either. I have three suitcases that can fit all of my possessions in. My PA was saying to me today, because I'm, I'm like flying back to New York tomorrow and my, I'm moving out my house. She was like, oh, I'll go buy you loads more suitcases. I'm like, no, if it doesn't fit in the existing suitcases I have, it goes to the charity shop. Like, I don't want more stuff. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm like, no, if it doesn't fit in those three suitcases that have my stuff in, then it goes, just throw it away. Because I don't want to collect stuff. Yeah. I don't care about stuff. I know I'm dying. Like, I'm gonna not, <laughs> not taking any of this shit with me anyway. No, that's true. Like, I, I want to spend money on um, nice, like, I see nice shoes and stuff and nice, like a nice bag and stuff. I'll I'll buy it, but I don't like, collect, I don't want to collect stuff. I don't, no. and I buy it for what I think is the right reasons. And like the shoes I'm, trainers I'm wearing now, I will wear every day until there's a hole but they do cost like 800 pounds, but I will wear them every single day in a row until there is a hole. I've worn this hat hundreds of times and it's like, even though it's like 20 quid, but that's the kind of relationship I have with my stuff. I get stuff and I use it into the ground um, and then I replace it with the exact same thing. It's quite weird. That makes life quite easy then. And I lose all my stuff because I don't care enough. Is there a book you recommend to people more than any other? Depends, depends what you're looking to do with your life. I'm reading this book at the moment called Lost Connections, which was great. Mm-hmm. It talks about like anxiety and depression and the real reasons why our society is getting more sad. Yeah. Um, really important book, I think, because it strips you of this idea that these mental health issues are just chemical imbalances. And it shows you with st- multiple studies across everything that um, it's not necessarily what's wrong with you, but what's happened to you, mm-hmm. uh, what's happening to you. Um, so that book has been really eye-opening for me because it also has kind of told me what's important and what's not Yeah. in the sense of like friendships are really important and relationships with people are really important. Um, uh, nature's important. Um, all these kinds of things. And yeah. it ex- explains through studies why. Like a study I read about how prisoners in this prison in America are 30% more likely to become depressed if they're not facing the greenery. Yeah. So those on the other side are less depressed just because they're facing the greenery. And it talks about the psychology and us as cavemen, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, what other books have been useful to me? The Slight Edge really helped convince me that life isn't about these big decisions we make. Mm-hmm. It's not about, which which is great because it breaks things into small steps. It's yeah. really the small, seemingly insignificant things we do every day that compound over time to determine the trajectory of our life. Okay. So like, if I don't brush my teeth today, fine, my teeth won't fall out. If I don't brush my teeth all every day this week, they won't fall out. If I don't brush my teeth every day for five years, my teeth will fall out. Yeah. So really it was the small decision that seemed to be irrelevant in the moment that results in my teeth falling out of my mouth. Yeah. What about if the same applies for your career, your mouth, you know, like your discipline, your discipline in terms of your health, um, how much you know, um, what if things are compound? Everything in your life right now is compounding, either for or against you, and you. And so that made me care more about the small things and less about the big yeah. things. Getting the big things right. It's more about the simple disciplines, and you know, it's easy to save five pounds. So it's also very easy not to save five pounds. It sounds like you you're very disciplined yourself. Do you have any vices? Do you smoke? Do you drink? Do you party? <sighs> Discipline to an extent. Um, 
not disciplined when it comes to going to the gym, like everybody else, no, you know, I'm really disciplined when it comes to the stuff that I just love doing and like my work and yeah. stuff. Um, do I smoke? No. Do I drink? Yeah. Do I drink a lot? No. Um, yeah. What's I, your? I I'm not very addictive. I don't have a very addictive personality in that regard. Okay. What's your idea of, of happiness then? Um, I guess it's a sense of, I guess it's a combination. And this is probably a new answer um, for me. Um, it's a it's a sense of like challenge, um, doing good, uh, family and relationships. Um, like for me, it's like the combination of being challenged, knowing that I'm doing something that is making the world a better place and helping mm -hmm. others like ease suffering, uh, or e ease doubt or ease unhappiness. And then um, it's like, you know, love and family and stuff. Okay. And do you have a personal motto? Th those who believe they can and those who believe they can't are both usually right. There's a quote that I didn't come up with, but um, when I heard it, I was like, oh, that is perfect. Yeah. And it goes back to our point about self-belief, you know, being the most important thing because that's all I've ever had. Brilliant. Steve, thank you very much. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much for listening to this episode of the Gentleman's Journal podcast. We'll be back in a fortnight with more invaluable insights from the world of entrepreneurs. But until then, you can find us on our website, which is www.thegentlemansjournal.com. Or if you're so inclined, follow us on Instagram at The Gents Journal or indeed on Twitter at The Gents Journal. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you very, very soon.